Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Insofar as Matthew's genealogy in chapter 1 dismantles and ridicules the patrilineal line of David, it provides context for our understanding of the names of the Twelve in chapter 10, where the name Matthew looks ahead, offering the hope of his gospel for Israel the names that come after foreshadow a gift, a mathon, already rejected. These names, which should mark hope and a return from exile, instead point backward to the human kings and men of violence who first led God's people astray. In this sense, the name Matthew in chapter 10 is a line in the sand, a last chance, and there's no going back. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 3 to 4. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 279 of the Bible as Literature podcast. I hinted last week, Richard, that we would be talking about Alexander the Great, and verse 3 of chapter 10 in the Gospel of Matthew does not disappoint. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Right out of the gate, the first two names, Philip and Bartholomew, point to the era of Alexander the Great, who was, of course, the object of the biblical writer's wrath in the composition of the Old Testament, which was written, as Father Paul has taught us, against Hellenism and against the tyranny of Alexander the Great. So Philip is, of course, a reference to Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, and Bartholomew, Bartholome in Aramaic, is a reference to Ptolemy, who was a general of Alexander the Great, who ruled in Egypt. So you have the inclusion of the Gentiles, but in a very specific way. So in verses 1 and 2, we had a kind of recounting of God's mercy towards the wayward people of Israel. And now the Gentiles are being brought in, so just as God undid the sins of Israel in the genealogy, he's now going to undo the conquest of Alexander the Great here in the Gospel of Matthew. Right, we had those first four who are about the gift and about whether they're going to hear and receive this gift. And now we have the conquering kings. So that doesn't necessarily look good. We have the ones who would come and take over the land. They're the earthly kings. Now, these are the ones that Jesus decided to send the word out with. Just because Jesus sent the word out with them does not necessarily mean that they will be successful because you can be given the word and fail to pass it on. 
and you can fail to pass it on because you're too concerned with your own human earthly glory like the earthly kings or dedicate yourself to the kings in spite of the word that you heard. Remaining true to this word, remaining faithful to this word is what is key to what Jesus is trying to do. Remember, up till now, Jesus has been frustrated with the fact that whenever he preaches and he heals, people remember the healing and forget the word. Whenever he heals somebody, they're grateful for the healing and then ignore the commandment. And this is what's happening time and time again. Jesus is used to being betrayed. Jesus is used to being failed. So he is still generous with how he sows the word, as he always sows, if I can use a metaphor from Mark, in hope that the word is going to continue to be brought out. The next two names are also critical. I'll begin with Matthew, the tax collector. In his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, Father Paul points out that the position of Matthew's name in the list differs here from the other Gospels. In Mark and in Luke, Matthew appears as the seventh name in the list, but here he's positioned as the eighth name. And the names that come after shed some light as to the position of Matthew here in chapter 10 and the dividing line that he's creating. For now, it's important just to note that he's the eighth name, which is a change from the other Gospels. And just before him, we have this name Thomas, which of course is an Aramaic name, but also relates to the Hebrew word to'am, which means twin. It's significant that Matthew is number seven in the list in those other Gospels and eighth here. But the one in the seventh position is this Thomas, who is the twin in Roman thought and Roman mythology, it's the Janus face who faces both directions at the same time. So we have facing the first six and then facing the last five. Thomas is right here in the middle, right alongside Matthew, the tax collector. And Matthew comes from Matan, which is also Aramaic, which means the gift so the tax collector is the gift, which of course he's not the gift. He's the one who takes away your gifts. He's the one who takes away the money. But in the story of the Gospels, he is the one who remains faithful as in the author of the very words that we're reading. And so looking at these first characters who were given the gift and turned towards human glory, now Thomas faces the other direction, which begins with the gift of God, who is the outsider, the despised, who is the tax collector. And remember that in the genealogy, after the exile, we have the introduction of Mathan, who is, of course, an allusion to Matthew in the genealogy. We've touched on that already. And once he's introduced, in other words, once the gift of his gospel, which we're hearing now, once this gift is presented, you have hope for a new beginning. You have hope for the ushering in of the kingdom. You have hope through the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. So something similar is happening here, but we're not presented with hopeful names once Matthew, the tax collector, is introduced. We're presented with names that point to the failure, yet again, of Israel to hear the word of the Lord and keep it. Earlier, we talked about the significance of the names James and Peter. 
in the first section of this list, they represent these characters who have failed and who have fallen short, but in a kind of hopeful way that they're being called and there's an opportunity for them to follow Jesus in the story. Having said that, now that we pivot, you know, with Thomas facing both ways and Matthew marking the line of separation, we're confronted again with a do-over, just as we were in the genealogy. James appears again. We have Thaddeus, or Judas Thaddeus. So Judah appears again. We have Simon, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him, which is again, Shimon in Hebrew, to hear, to hear the word of the Lord. The Zealot, or perhaps translated elsewhere, the Canaanite, the name Judas or Judah Iscariot. Now it's fascinating, Richard, that although we haven't encountered the story of the betrayal of Jesus, remember, we're reading Matthew for the first time. It's the first book in the New Testament. But here, the author is referring to the betrayal using the aorist verb form. In other words, even though Judas in the story hasn't betrayed Jesus, Judah, whom he represents functionally, has pretty much betrayed Jesus. It's as good as done. We just have to sit back and hear the story unfold. So it's, in a way, a very dark passage, because it goes from hope and possibility to a kind of last word to Israel. You don't have any chances after this. There won't be another opportunity. This is the last word for you. Once Matthew has spoken, the book is closed. It's interesting with this name Canaanite, because in some places it's translated as Canaanite, in other places it's translated as zealot. One of the tricky things about reading this word in Greek is the Aleph and the Ein in Hebrew and Aramaic are transliterated the same way. So if you want to take it as an Aleph, then it is jealous or jealousy. When God talks about being jealous for his people, he uses this root, kana. It can be Simon, the one who's jealous or zealous. But if it's an Ein, then it's relating to the people of Canaan, the Canaanites. This is also translated as merchant in some places in the Old Testament. Simon, previously in this chapter, is the one who hears, just like Simon Peter, and Peter is the one who's the stone and therefore is not able to hear. This Simon, the one who hears, is either the one who is jealous or is the one who is the outsider. And as the outsider, it's not bad, just like we have Matthew. A Canaanite is salvageable, of course, if they respond correctly to the word and they follow the word. But we don't know about this, Simon, because Jesus is just sending them out now. We have Judas Iscariot, and Father Paul, interestingly, looks at the last name here, Iscariot, and relates the name to the Latin Sicarius, which means sword. Judas then is related to the Philip and Bartholomew, the earthly kings we saw before. It's very astute, Father, just as you said, by saying that he is the one who betrayed Jesus, not the one who is about to, but the one who completed the action, who will have completed the action, as we have to say in English, doesn't come out nearly as elegantly as it does in Greek. Who might as well have already done it. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's how I hear it. Right. And so we have that as the end. 
the last word of the list of disciples is the betrayal. The options are closed off. It's also helpful, Father, you mentioned that this is the first time, if we're reading Matthew in order, if we're reading the Bible in order, this is the first time we find out about it. So Matthew is telegraphing what's going to happen. Matthew is already letting us know that this is doomed to fail. We already know that this isn't going to work. I mean, he at least could have kept us in suspense and we wouldn't have found out till the chapter 20-something that Judas is the one who betrayed him. But we have to find that out now. Why would that be? Already in the list of names, within the names themselves, just in the list of names, we already know what is going to happen to Jesus and what's going to happen to this word. Now, don't forget, one of the battles that Jesus has been battling, as I said a moment ago, is between he himself, the person, and what he does, and his word, which goes out beyond him. So we know what's going to happen to Jesus, but we still are not sure what's going to happen to this word. Will these disciples follow the word and remain faithful to the word? Eh, Not feeling super excited about that. On the one hand, we do have like Matthew, who's the publican. He's an outsider, but maybe there's some hope in him. He did write this book. We do know that. But then we've got Judas. And we've got these Jacobs who are a little bit on the sketchy side. We have this Thomas who's looking both directions. We're definitely teetering on the brink here at best. And so then we have to see what's going to happen after chapter 10. Simon and Judas in verse 4 are men of violence. They're men of the sword. It's important that Philip and Bartholomew, insofar as they represent the violent Gentiles, the violent Hellenes, are above the dividing line. So somehow they made the cut. The focus at the end of verse 4, the ire, the subject of God's judgment in verse 4, the threat is towards the insiders. You have James, who represents the head of the religious community in Jerusalem, and you have Judah, And of course, as we said last week, James is connected to the Old Testament name Jacob. It's the same name. And you have Simon, who should be listening to the Torah, who instead is a kind of militaristic zealot who wants to take on the Romans, which is a complete betrayal of the prophetic tradition. If Rome is occupying you, The correct attitude is to assume that it's the will of God, if you are biblical, and that it is God who sent Caesar to choke your land. So once you become a zealot, a kind of radical ideologue who wants to fight for nation and tribe, you become the same person who betrays your true king, just as the people betrayed their true king in the Old Testament when they asked instead for a human king. It's the same story over and over again. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.